something this morning before Brian comes up uh, to give us the message and uh, teach us from the word. Uh, ask my friend Josie to read the scripture today. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have built little I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word of patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write you on the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Welcome you this morning as we gather uh, for worship. Those who are here, those who are over in the teen center, those who are watching online, uh, just thank you for coming together to celebrate God's presence among us. We're in the midst of a sermon series on the seven letters to the seven churches from chapter two and three of Revelation. And today we're going to look at the letter to the church at Philadelphia. Now, every letter we found follows the same form. And they all begin with a title for Christ. And, and there's a lot of information in these titles, what Josie just read for us. And here's the title for Christ from the letter to the church at Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens, no one will shut, and who shuts, and no one opens. Now, there's a couple messages going on here. Uh, the first is, is, it's a statement about Caesar. Uh, you know, they called Caesar the Holy One, the True One, back in uh, the day. And this is a statement. Caesar, Caesar is not the Holy One. Christ is. But there's a lot more going on uh, than just a statement about Rome. And it was a lot closer for these Christians in Philadelphia than we realize. The Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David. Who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one opens. See, the Jewish community in Philadelphia, um, they were saying that the Christians were not worshiping the one true holy God. At the time this was written, the Christians, they were trying to figure out their relationship with Judaism and their relationship with the synagogue. Um, it would have been so much more personal and painful than we realize, however. Because many of these early Christians, they had been born Jewish. And their parents, 
and their siblings, their families, their friends, they turned their backs on them when they converted to Christianity. Can you imagine? So these Christians in this little church in Philadelphia, they're being told by their family and their friends that they're worshiping a false god. And then they were excommunicated from the synagogue that they were raised in. So this letter to Philadelphia, it begins by stating that Jesus is the true Jewish Messiah. And we need to understand this. It's very important. You know, Jesus was Jewish. When God became man in Christ, it was in the midst of this story of how God had been in relationship with Israel, the story that we know of as the Old Testament, right? Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. That's what this letter means when it says that Jesus is the one who has the key of David. I mean, David was the great Jewish king, and and, and Jesus was the true Jewish Messiah. And the members of the synagogue in Philadelphia, they're not the ones that get to pronounce who is in and out of the kingdom of God. They don't get to say who is one of God's special people. Christ is the one who opens, and no one can shut it. Now this continues into the the, the commendation. We found every letter has a commendation, condemnation. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 8, I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door. No one is able to shut it. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Christ says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. And we saw this last week as well with the church at Smyrna, right? That Christ judges our works. It's not just the things that we say. Jesus is actually interested in what we do. Our actions, they they really matter. Is the world a better place because you have been a disciple of Jesus? Christ says he opens that door and no one can shut it. But I think a lot of time we want to be the ones that get to shut the door. You know, over the centuries, how many times have churches said they are the only true church? They are the only true community. Everyone else is out. See, we want to proclaim who's in and who's out. And it just so happens that we're always the ones that are in when we do this. That's what was going on in that synagogue in Philadelphia. I read a ton of stuff on the letter to Philadelphia this last week. And, you know, everybody loves Philadelphia, the Church of Philadelphia. Uh, It's like everybody's favorite church of these seven, uh, as far as the commentators. And it makes sense. Because they're the minority that are doing it right. Of these seven churches, Philadelphians are one of two churches. They get no condemnation whatsoever from Christ. Jesus has nothing bad to say about them. Nothing negative, just encouragement in the midst of their persecution. Just keep going. And you know, the more I think about that, I, I, I think it's really interesting, even though they're one of two that are actually doing it right, out of all seven churches, everyone tries to identify themselves with Philadelphia. No one wants to identify with the churches who receive condemnation. 
Because we all think we're like the Philadelphians, right? We, we, we think we're the church that would get no condemnation whatsoever. We have it right. Everybody else has it wrong. Even though the Philadelphians were by far the minority and they were being persecuted, apparently now the majority of churches, are, they're, they're like the Philadelphian church. I mean, we want to be the ones that shut the door and proclaim ourselves inside. What Jesus says here is that's his job and nobody else's. It's Christ's job and Christ's job alone to proclaim when that door gets shut. Revelation 3, 8a, I know your works. Look, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. We might say we can shut the door on others, but we're just fooling ourselves. And we're bringing judgment upon ourselves when we do this. I think it's really interesting. He says the next thing. I think it's the most important message out of this whole message for us in 2023, 8b. I know that you have but little power, and yet you kept my word and have not denied my name. Philadelphian church, they didn't have much power. They weren't able to change the world, and it didn't matter. The question isn't what happens in the end, but did you keep your faith in the midst of the journey? Did you keep my word? Did you deny my name? This is a lesson for us. How are we doing at being disciples in the midst of 2020? How are our works? Are we showing our faith in our actions? You know, of these seven churches in these letters, the two that get no condemnation, they're not the powerful. They're not the ones that go and change the world. Rather, they're the communities that were poor, they were suffering, they were under persecution, but they stayed true to Christ in the midst of all of that. That's what matters. It's, it's the journey that matters, right? It's not the destination. And that's so hard for us to remember. I mean, even in the best of times. But I think right now we need to have our eyes on the prize. That's what Christ says we'll be judged on. And that's very different than how the world sees things, right? I mean, there's so many places this applies to, but especially in 2020, our daily walk matters. We're all going to mess up, but did we try? Did we really try? And then when we messed up, did we keep going? What was the overall journey like? Not the individual battles, but that whole war is what counts. Jesus says, I know your works. How are you living as a disciple today? What is the difference your faith is making in your relationship with others. Jesus says, I know your works. Do people see Christ informing your day-to-day life as a friend, as a spouse, as a parent, as a child? In our relationship, are we keeping the faith? Are we faithful? I know your works, Jesus says. 
What about this world that we live in? You know, this is God's creation, the planet. Are we living like God actually created this place? Do we live like God created our air and our rivers and our oceans? You know, you loan somebody a tool. You don't expect them to leave it out in the rain and get all rusty, right? You expect them to take care of it. You borrow somebody's car. When you're done, you, you clean it out, you wash it, you fill it up with gas before you take it back. You don't take it for wheeling and then, you know, bring it back all caked in mud and say, oh, yeah, sorry. Is God's creation a, a better or a worse place because we were here? Jesus says, I know your works. What about the injustices against fellow humans? Are we standing against them? Maybe we're not going to end all injustice, but did we at least stand up when it mattered? I mean, right now, 2020, COVID, politics, racism. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. All the stuff we've had to deal with, are we, at the very least, doing no harm? I know your works, Jesus says. I mean, slavery, trafficking, those things are alive and well. Are we doing anything about it? Are we standing up? Jesus says, I know your works. You know, I think about the issues that we've had to deal with this year. We could easily just kind of throw up our hands and walk away. But Jesus says, I know your works. We may not fix the issues that plague our world right now, but do we post things we know aren't true on Facebook? Or things that we haven't verified? I know your works. I mean, there's so much misinformation out there right now. Uh, are we a part of that cycle perpetuating it, or do we do our job to stop it? Jesus says, I know your works. You know, the basis of our judgment is not going to be, did we succeed, but rather did we try, Jesus is saying here. Did we keep the faith? When 2020 is all over, what can we say were our works this year? Revelation 3.8b, I, I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Philadelphians kept going. Even when the deck was stacked against them, they did what they could do with their little power. Do you try? Do you keep going? Even when the deck is all stacked against you, do you keep going? Do you give up or do you keep up the fight? And when you get knocked down, do you get back up? I know your works. Where in your life are you getting knocked down? And it's implicit here that you're going to get knocked down at least a little bit if you're going to receive a commendation. You have to put yourself in the position to get knocked down if you want to be like the church and the, the Christians in Philadelphia. If you're not being knocked down, why? I know your works. Are you living as a disciple? Disciples of Jesus are called to walk a difficult path. Take the high road if you're going to follow Jesus. If you're following his lead, you are not going to be taking easy journeys. 
Because Jesus never takes the easy journey. If you follow someone, you go where they go, you do what they do. We say this over and over. It's important because so often, you know, our expectation is when we become Christian, everything's going to be just smooth sailing, easy. Everything's going to be great. We'll experience prosperity and, you know, no suffering and no pain, no difficulty, because that's what happened to Jesus, right? Not. The exact opposite. I mean, the churches in Revelation, they don't receive condemnation those t- churches that don't, don't receive condemnation, it's because they're experiencing persecution. And that happened because they did not cave. They kept going. I mean, think about how hard this would have been for these Christians in Philadelphia. Their loved ones turned their backs on them because of their love of Christ. But they didn't stop loving Jesus. They kept going, and they were commended I think this is a great model for us in 2020 as disciples of Jesus. This is the path. That's the journey of the crucified Lord. Philadelphia, Smyrna, the only two of these seven that don't receive a condemnation. And they were experiencing persecution. And they were poor. And they were suffering because they followed Christ. They followed Christ in his life of suffering. And it would have been so easy for them to just turn their backs and renounce him. But they walked a path of giving, a path of fighting, and they didn't give up. And Jesus encourages them to continue that journey. Which brings us to the admonitions and the encouragements. 3.9. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews but are not, are lying, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. See, so often I think people read this, and and they they feel these words are anti-Semitic, and they're anti-Jewish, and and, and it's actually the exact opposite if you read it closely. Jesus criticized the synagogue in Philadelphia, not for being Jewish, but for being hostile to the Christians. And there's a huge difference. It's not that they were being criticized— for being in the synagogue. Being Jewish was not the problem. Jesus calls them a synagogue of Satan, a group who say they're Jews but are not. I mean, remember, Satan's the deceiver. The synagogue of the deceiver, like these members of the Philadelphian synagogue who say Jesus says they're Jews but aren't, because they're lying. Because if they were real Jews, they would have welcomed these disciples with open arms. They would have encouraged them rather than being hostile to them. They persecuted these Christians, the true people of God. And the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, says he knows their works. And he promises in the end that the members of this synagogue will learn that he loves the Christians. <laughs> meaning they'll know who Jesus really is and who his people are. He is their Messiah. And they'll know that these Christians in Philadelphia, they were the true Jews. And then Jesus says these words, Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming to the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast so that you may receive your crown.
hold fast. Keep what you're doing. You'll receive the crown. This is about patient endurance. This is not about the intermediate, but seeing the longer journey and staying in it. Jesus is saying, let me worry about that stuff. It's my job to open the door. Your job is to walk through it and keep following me. You're doing it. Just keep going. In Greek, it's really hard to understand verse 10. I want to spend a second on it because he says, because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming. Now that could also be translated, um, keep you through the hour of trial. Some translations say keep you from the hour of trial, and, and that doesn't make any sense at all if you think about it, because they're in the hour of trial right now. They're suffering for their faith right now. They're, they're, they're not being kept from it. What makes sense to me, and it's important for 2020, I'll keep you in the midst of the trial. I will keep you in my hands. Christ will keep us throughout this time of trial. Not keep us from trouble, but he'll keep us through the trouble. He'll walk with us in the midst of the journey. Jesus says there is going to be a time of judgment when the wrongs and the injustices that we've experienced are addressed. The wrongs will be made right. Let me worry about that, he's saying. It's my job to do that. You just keep hold fast. You hold fast. You keep the faith right now in 2020. You need to live as if I'm coming soon because I am. Then this final promise is huge for the Philadelphians. 3, 12 through 13. If I conquer, if, if you conquer, excuse me, I'll make you pillars in the temple of my God. You'll never go out of it. I'll write you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. What does a pillar do? It holds up a roof. Now, there's a lot of background in Philadelphia we don't have time to go into, and it's actually fascinating, but the Philadelphians knew a lot about pillars, and they knew a lot about pillars that did not stay up, pillars that fell down. And for several reasons, one of the main was they, they were like plagued with earthquakes back then. And we don't have time to go into all of this detail, but, but believe me, they had a ton of experience of rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding pillars that fell. Over and over, these earthquakes, uh, major tremors, they knocked the pillars down, the roofs collapsed. So much that right before this was written, the Philadelphians, they had to leave their city entirely, just evacuate, relocate out in the countryside because all of their buildings had collapsed. And Christ said, they're going to be made like pillars in the temple, so strong that they'll never have to leave the city that's coming. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You'll never have to leave because behind their experience of evacuating their earthly city of Philadelphia is this memory. And Christ is saying, not only will that never happen in the city that's to come, but you're going to be the pillars of that city. 
because they didn't cave from the earthquake of persecution. They're going to hold up the city to come for all eternity. And then he says, I'll write on you the name of my God. And remember back in, in this time, if you see the pictures of, of old ancient, ancient artifacts of these pillars, they, they would inscribe names and images on the pillars. The name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, your name's going to be there. You'll never have to flee this city. The city, the new Jerusalem that comes from God out of heaven. That's the promise to those who keep the faith. Those the promise for those who do not turn in the midst of suffering. So how are your works? Are you experiencing suffering because of your faith? Is the path of Christ taking you on a difficult path? If not, why? I know your works. The world would tell you to turn back in those moments. However you do, it's only the end that matters. Not how you get there, but Jesus is saying, look, you're in good company right now. It's not, let, let me worry about that stuff. It's how you walk the journey that matters. Did you keep the faith? I know your works. Before we close in prayer, I, I want to let you know a couple things. I, I think most of us probably know that uh, we made phase two um, here in Benton Franklin County this last week. And phase two allows for gathered worship up to 200 people. And so next week, we are planning on uh, moving into the sanctuary. Now, that's the only thing that changed. Uh, we're, we're still trying to figure out how to work around that, uh, especially regarding masks for, for me preaching and people singing, because uh, there, there is no other way of reading that if there's people in here, we have to wear masks. And so we're going to change some things, and we're going to see this as a season of being able to, to try some new things. And, but I do want to invite you, if you feel um, okay with that, we, we really do want to gather people back in the sanctuary next week at 10, and I said we can have up to 200. We are going to continue the RSVP uh, program, and that's so that we can afford, if we need to have a second um, worship, or we also can, can move to other locations throughout the campus. Uh, we can certainly have more than one worship. But, you know, when we gathered in, and we're singing, and I'm thinking about the legacy of this space, how many people over the years have come here in the midst of pain and suffering, and they have felt God's presence. How many celebrations have happened, you know, the weddings that have been performed right here, the baby dedications, the, the baptisms. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And we as a community, we need to gather to celebrate God's presence in the midst of our life. We need to gather together to, for in the midst of our yearning, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain and our trials. And we also need to gather together to celebrate God's presence in the midst 
of this journey. So I do want to invite you next week. Like I say, we'll be in the sanctuary at 10 a.m. We are figuring out how we're going to do things, and it is going to look different, but I think it'll be an amazing opportunity for us to, to move into these new chapters that God is calling us. That, you know, we talked about this a couple over the last several weeks. COVID is not the main problem facing our world today. It's still the human heart, the human condition. And I firmly believe Jesus Christ is the answer, the only answer to that issue, that problem, the human condition, the yearning of our hearts. It's the only thing that will satisfy I want to invite you to come next week, but also we'll continue online. Um, we do miss you, and we look forward to being with you again. Will you join me in prayer, Lord? I thank you on this day for your presence. I thank you for community. I thank you for hope. I thank you that in the midst of the journey that you hold us. And I thank you for your promise that those who are suffering and being persecuted from their faith, they will be the pillars of the new city. We rest in your promises, O Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.